0: Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, and I'm very happy to be joined on short notice by my good friend Jared Dubin, uh, writer for all kinds of places, and uh, most notably, I guess, Howard Paroxysm on a regular basis, uh, and also avid Knicks fan. So, Jared, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm in San Antonio. I was at the Cavs Spurs game last night and in a little while I'm going to head to Houston for tonight's Cavs uh Rockets game as part of my travels around Texas, but um I was going to do a podcast with someone else and it fell through and so I was wonder I was looking through my phone to see who I could get on short notice and I uh I saw your name and I said, Hey, I bet Jared's around and then I texted you and you uh you had nothing to do, I guess, except wait for your apartment to get cleaned, apparently.
1: Yeah, well first of all I'm very happy to know that I was uh, the second choice to be on the podcast. It's
0: it's always good to be the backup plan. Well you're a uh, plan to be on soon, I, but I didn't there aren't many people that I can call on short notice and they can be ready to do it, and I figured you would be. So you're the you're you're probably the permanent default uh default go to option if there's a uh, if there's a need. If that makes you feel any better.
1: It does. You know, I listen, whenever you need a backup, I'll probably be around. I don't know what that says about me. Probably not <laughs> too much that's good. But, but today today I was just waiting for my apartment to be cleaned and the woman that was cleaning my apartment, you know, we got we talked for a little bit while she was here and she told me that I don't seem deep enough to be a writer. Uh, whoa really yeah <laughs> so that's, that's so one i of my favorite comments i read about sports I, I said that i read about sports and then she said oh okay that makes sense <laughs> <laughs>
0: And just to be clear, so I didn't know that. About to be clear, I didn't know that story was coming. I just knew that Jared had been waiting to get his apartment cleaned. That is that is unbelievable shade being thrown by the cleaning lady. That's unbelievable.
1: What? Led... You know what? I got to give her props. You know, and she, you know what? She was singing while she was cleaning the place too. And uh, if if I could throw shade at her voice, I'd do it. But she was pretty good.
0: <laughs> what was she singing when she was cleaning your apartment?
1: She was singing a few different things, um, you know, some older songs that I didn't recognize because she was a, a slightly older than me woman, and then she was also, she put on some music and was rapping with it a little bit, too.
0: What was she uh-huh. rapping? Uh, there was some Jay-Z
1: going on in there. Yes,
0: that's fantastic. This is great. That, that turned into a way better story than I even expected. I can't believe you got crushed by the cleaning lady. That's outstanding. Um speaking of people that that could get crushed, uh your Knicks have been off to a very surprising start, as we've talked about several times, and now they uh they're on their way to Memphis, where they have a interesting game uh tomorrow night against the Grizzlies, uh and a certain power or small forward on their team named Matt Barnes, who um who got into a bit of an interesting situation with Derek Fisher, the coach of the Knicks, back in back in October. And it, it's kind of a – I'm glad this worked out this way because this is kind of a perfect time to talk about the Knicks, um, a team that you know, you and I both, I think, had very limited expectations for coming into even training camp, um, where, at least for me, I thought this whole season was just going to be based about what is Chris Asporzingis, And is he a guy the Knicks can count on to be part of their building, rebuilding plan moving forward? And then you have the first week of training camp, Matt uh, Derek Fisher, you know, leaves camp for essentially 36 hours to fly to Los Angeles. And which is weird enough. And then, um, you know, has this whole altercation with Matt Barnes. It gets onto page six and becomes a national story. And, you know, here's this coach that won 17 games last year. And, you know, now is embroiled in this this whole thing with Barnes, and things look like kind of a mess. And then, remarkably, you know, the Knicks have really been, you know, I think one of the biggest surprises in the whole league. Um, you know, hovering around five hundred in the, you know, fighting for a playoff spot. Porzingis has been great. Um, so if you could, I know that was a lot of stuff that I touched on, but what can you can you just give, uh, everyone your thoughts on? on how these first, you know, couple months or so have played out for your team?
1: Yeah, uh, to say that it's been one of the most surprising teams in the league, I think, is selling it short a little bit. Like, it's one of the more surprising jumps based on uh, history of, of how teams of, of similar performance levels of the Knicks last season have performed the following year. It's one of the more surprising jumps, like, Ever. And
0: you wrote a big piece um, about that for the season, didn't you Jared?
1: Yeah, uh, I didn't write a piece about it. I wrote um, I, I tweeted out something a few times. I did a bunch of research based on the history of teams that won between 14 and 20 games uh, in a full season like a non-lockout season. Uh, and the, uh, this is I'm, I'm reading it from there now. There were 55 teams in the modern era that finished the season with between 14 and 20 wins. Uh, on average, those teams improved by about nine and a half wins the following season. Um, only five of them finished above 500 the next year, and only six finished uh, above, I think, like 37 or 38 wins. Uh, right now, the Knicks are on track to do the second one, and they're one game under 500. Um, you know, if they doubled their win total from the first half of the season, they'd go to. Uh, to forty wins, which would be a twenty-three win jump, which only four out of those fifty-five teams uh, have ever done, which you know is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's, pretty, it's basically unheard of. You know, and I, ironically, of one of those
0: teams. and ironically, one of those teams was the Bucks last year. Um, just right, in, a, in a weird twist,
1: exactly. Um, and then you know, look at the Bucks this year, and obviously not quite as good. But you know, that's seven percent of the fifty-five teams that have been that bad. Um, so, like I said, to say that this is just one of the most surprising teams this year, I think even sells a little bit short. Um, obviously, some of that improvement is based based into them having gone uh, five and two in their last seven games, but it's it's really really surprising to, to to see that they're this good.
0: All right, and and why why do you think that is? I mean, I know. I mean, look, the second half of last year, the Knicks were, I mean, just an embarrassment. I mean, they were. You know, they were largely playing D-League guys or guys that shouldn't have really been in the league. And, you know, Carmelo was hurt, and they didn't have Porzingis. So, like, you, there's there's some things you can point to that say, all right, these things are different. But, you know, as somebody who watches this team really closely, what what do you think is different about the Knicks this year, you know, beyond the obvious, that, that's allowed them to to be off to such a better start?
1: There are a few different things. You know, first, like you said, there's, you know, the roster is almost completely different. Um, you know Carmelo is not only playing but he's mostly been healthy uh, last year even while he was on the floor they were really bad i think they might have had a worse winning percentage while he was healthy uh, than when he was hurt but you know the healthy is in quotes there because he hurt his knee in the second game of the year and then just didn't get surgery until after the all-star game uh, when everybody pretty much knew that he needed it within a couple of weeks of that of that second game of the year which was a uh, a win in Cleveland against the Cavs in LeBron's first game back at home.
0: A game I was at, um, and, a, and a result that still stuns me. I just, it I still, still can't makes believe. Absolutely no sense. It, I, I will, I will, I don't know if I'll ever forget that game because it was just so, oh, no. it was so bizarre being there, and uh, you know, expecting the Knicks to lose by thirty-five because I thought the Knicks were going to be terrible even before Carmelo was hurt, and uh, yeah, and then they somehow won that game, which is remarkable. But anyway, go, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: Right, so so he's not only uh, playing, but he's he's healthy, and you know this last couple weeks or so, he's playing as well as he's ever played. I think in his entire career, um, not necessarily shooting from the field all that well, but he's rebounding more. His passes are, you know, he's not been just a more willing passer, but his passes have been much more productive. I wrote a piece about that a couple of weeks ago that his passes are turning into chances for assists and into actual assists at a significantly higher rate uh, than in previous seasons with the Knicks. He got that from the SportView data on NBA.com. Uh, and he's, he's playing better defense, too, I think is really important. Then, obviously, they added a bunch of guys over the summer. Robin Lopez is playing well. Aaron Aflalo not necessarily defending well, but he's been a really, really good option in the post, which a lot of the Knicks' offense and the triangle is based around. And having just another guy that can score out of the post other than Carmelo I think has helped them a bunch. And then obviously Porzingis is here and Derek Williams has been playing well over the last couple weeks. Getting to the free throw line a lot. Jaron Grant, after struggling a lot early on uh, when teams were sort of, when teams learned that they can sag all the way off his jumper has has come on over the last couple weeks, weeks as well. He's learned that you know, after you call for one pick and the guy goes underneath, that if you call for a second one, it'll help you get into the paint. Uh, and that, that obviously has minimized, I think, the fact that his jumper hasn't necessarily come along yet. But, you know, independent of having new guys on the team, I think they've made some important tweaks. Also, you know, Derek Fisher has not necessarily changed the offense, but incorporated a few different things into the offense. This is something that, you know, a lot of people complained about last year because the triangle is such a stodgy system that generates, you know, a whole bunch of mid-range jumpers, whether it's off of screens or off of spot-ups. A lot of their initiation of the offense this year, rather than just coming from that standard triangle guard-to-guard pass and then the guard cuts to the corner, they're letting Lopez and Porzingis set drag screens in transition. To initiate offense and then if that doesn't turn into anything then they go through their triangle stuff with Carmelo in the post or at the elbow or you know Porzingis or Lopez in the post or getting their usual action that way I think that's helped things a bunch uh created a little bit different looks than necessarily they would have gotten last year and then on defense this is something that I think is probably the most important improvement they made and I actually have a piece going up about it uh you know, We're talking at around 1 o'clock. It's going to go up uh, in a little while. Um, their three-point defense is probably the most improved in the league. And that's not just in terms of percentage. Uh, it's also in terms of the percentage of opponents' attempts that come from behind the three-point line. Uh, last year, they were 30th in the league uh, in, in three-point percentage allowed. This year, I'm bringing it up right now. They are forced. Uh, they've gone from allowing opponents to shoot 38% from three to 31.7%. And then not only that, and by the way, that's the biggest improvement in the league, 6.3%. And then uh, in terms of the percentage of opponents' attempts that come from three, they've gone from 27.6%, which was 11th highest in the league, to 24.8 percent which is the fourth lowest in the league and that 2.8 percent drop is also the biggest in yeah. the NBA this year
0: yeah and you look at you look at the NBA now right and if you if you can limit teams uh, ability to hit three pointers you're going to be way ahead of the game because that's what every that's what just about every team in the league is trying to do now and you know that it, it's easy to see if, if you're if you're making those kinds of jumps in three point percentage defense you're going to be um, you're going to be a lot better um and that that's, all, and that's something no, they
1: really did not uh, they really did not emphasize that at all last year there were a few times um, and our friend Chris Herring wrote about this that Fisher said basically like we'll concede threes we'll let teams shoot them because we don't think that they can hit that high of a percentage uh, he reversed course pretty significantly early in the season. I actually asked him about it during the preseason and he said that the one thing they have to do is limit attempts, which um, you know the, the geniuses over at Nylon Calculus have written about um, the way to improve three point defense is by stopping teams from shooting them because it's not necessarily a consistent thing to be able to limit the percentage that teams make from three. You have to stop them from actually shooting those shots, and they've done that obviously at a much much better rate this year than they did last year.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Teams shoot less threes; they're going to make less threes. So um, that's a pretty reasonable that's a pretty reasonable thing to uh, to think. Now um, we th- these things are all well and good about the way the team is playing, but let's get to really the important thing about the Knicks this year, which has been Kristaps Porzingis. And um, you know you you've been a Nick fan your whole life. You grew up in the in the tri state area in New York or in New Jersey, but um, you've always been a Nick fan. And you've been you've been a fan through you know most of the lean years of the last fifteen years. Really, that was kind of when you um, you came into your own as a fan and, and grew up uh, around the team. And you know the the stunning thing about the Knicks is you know people I don't think quite realize how. How little they've gotten from draft picks over the last 30 years. I mean, the only, the I, I want to say the only draft pick between Patrick Ewing in 1985 and now that's got a second contract with the Knicks, a first round pick, I should say, is Charlie Ward, right? Um, right. Pretty- he's
1: the only one that got a multi-year contract got a david multi-year lee contract that's
0: right david lee got a qualifying a one-year offer.
1: one-year deal right yeah
0: david lee signed a qualifying offer and 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 david lee and mark jackson are the only two all-star first round picks in the last 30 years since patrick Ewing from the knicks i think they both made it once and i'm not even sure mark Jackson. mark jackson i think made it with the knicks um yeah
1: i don't think jackson made it with the knicks lee i think is the only one that
0: did yeah you know what i'll check that right now while i'm talking but um but but as far as, as far as, as Porzingis goes, you know, going back to to the draft, what did you think? And Mark Jackson did make it. His one All Star appearance was with the Knicks. But um, just, oh, okay. so, just so we have the facts right. But um, going back to the draft, you know, what what did you think of the Porzingis pick? And what has it been like as a fan to just watch the way he has exploded onto the scene over these past um, these past few months?
1: Uh, Going back uh, to address your first question, going back to the draft, um, every year I make a list that I I keep to myself until after the Knicks pick of, you know, quote-unquote guys I like and guys I don't. Um, This year the Knicks obviously have been picking higher than they ever have almost in my lifetime, I think. Um, Yeah, I think the only other top five pick they
0: had was uh, Kenny Walker back in, like, 1986 or so. Um,
1: Right, and that was before I was born. Right, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Right. So this year, you know, because they were picking so high, that list was deeper and longer than it usually was. And because there were so many rumors that they might trade down, it also included uh, different trade options that I liked and didn't like. Uh, Porzingis was on the guys I like list, which was about eight or nine guys long, but he was sort of on the lower end of it just because I didn't necessarily know as much about him as I did, you know, the guys who are American and played in college. And I had the chance to, to watch full games, you know, all I had really seen of him was, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses, clips and stuff like that on, on draft express, and, uh, you know, obviously you could see from those clips why people thought, like, oh, there's a chance that this kid could be the best player that comes out of the draft. You know, a guy that, that moves like that and shoots like that at his size um, is extremely unusual. Um, but then you looked at the weaknesses stuff, and he wasn't a good rebounder there. Um, he didn't necessarily look or, or, or play very strong uh, in, in the post on either end of the floor. Uh, and then you saw uh, in summer league that was also still true. you know he didn't rebound very much. He got pushed off his spots a little bit uh, on both ends but you saw things that were not necessarily something you'd expect from frankly from a, a seven foot three European player because they're a little bit unusual. You know, just in terms of his motor and his, his help defense already, I thought looked a lot better than it might be. And, and his rebounding, uh, not necessarily getting rebounds, but chasing after them, I thought was something that he did well in, in summer league, but he wasn't necessarily getting those rebounds, if that makes sense. Um, since the season has started, obviously he's done all of that and more He's been worlds better than you could have ever possibly expected. Um, it's two or three times a game. I have to almost pinch myself to realize that like he's a real person and, and someone who's seven foot three can can take these step back jumpers off the dribble or line up casually these thirty foot threes like he did the other night uh,
0: against Boston.
1: Against Boston. Um, and you know the, the putback dunks and going after the offensive rebounds and his his blocks, um, you know his help defense, not just the blocks, his ability to alter shots has been terrific as well, and that's helped I think Fisher narrow the rotation over these last few weeks because he's playing more and more center now. Early on in the year, he was playing these um, these all bench lineups with Kyle and Kevin Seraphin has the only big man on the floor Um, since the turn of the new year uh, a couple weeks ago. Those have basically gone away. They've combined for 10 minutes since that point. And the same lineup with Porzingis at center has played 20 minutes. So that's, I think, helped, helped things a lot. Um, He's like a unicorn, you know, just a a Knicks rookie that's actually really good and is actually on the team is so rare you know, I, I wrote this piece a couple of years ago that um, was going to run at Grantland, but then wound up not running for various reasons. That, you know, at that point, the Knicks had traded their own first-round pick 13 times in the 26 years of my life. Um, so, so for them to have actually had their own pick and then drafted someone who, like you said, looks really good, and like we've been talking about, it's, it's surreal. And, you know, I'll talk to... Other Knicks fans, you know, during or after games, and it's it's mind blowing to, to have a guy like this to root for, and then you know to, to cover as well. It's it's really exciting in that aspect, also.
0: And can you can you kind of encapsulate for people that aren't in New York um, what it what it means uh, when the Knicks are good and when they have a guy um, like Porzingis that that fans can latch onto and get excited about?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I've lived here in the city now for seven years. Um, there have basically been two time periods where the team was, was good enough and exciting enough to get people really into it. Um, the first of those was that ridiculous insanity like, stretch a few years ago. Which was absolutely insane, um, especially because at the time I was living about a block away from Chinatown, and all of a sudden you, walk, you would walk through there, and every single person would be wearing one of those Jeremy Lin shirt jerseys. Um, but even that stretch was sort of was short lived. I mean, that was like six. I mean, weeks. that was
0: incredible, but that was about six weeks, and then it was over. Right,
1: exactly. And then, um, a couple of years ago when they won, uh, uh, 54 games, I think it was, um, and they had that team, it, that was also sort of unicorn-like because Mike Woodson planned to start the year going sort of in his very traditional fashion with Carmelo, Amari, and then, and Tyson Chandler all next to each other on the front line. But then Amari got hurt and some other guys got hurt and because of that, they were forced into this small ball lineup with Carmelo at the four, and it just worked like gangbusters. They started off the year incredibly. Carmelo was playing arguably the best of his career at that point. They were taking a ton of threes, moving the ball around. Um, that was, you know, that really got the city fired up, too. Uh, but that was, you know, it was basically two stretches of the season where that happened. Um, they were really good early on, and then a few guys got hurt in the middle of the year, and they played basically, I think they were 20 and 21 for the middle stretch of the season. Yeah, were 20, they the were 20 and
0: again. 21 around two, and then like 35 and 16 in those two hot stretches. It was exactly half the season for each of them. They were like hot at the beginning, hot at the end, and pretty, pretty mediocre to bad in the middle.
1: Right. When they tweaked the lineup again down the stretch, um, and they were... I think they went like 14 or 15 or one or something like that down the stretch of the season, which was incredible. And, you know, then they beat Boston in the first round of the playoffs. And people were going absolutely nuts. Um, the Pacers then in the second round of the playoffs, uh, I went to a game with my father, which uh, I actually asked him if he could buy tickets for because the game was going to be on TNT, um, announced by Reggie Miller on something like the... 16th or 17th anniversary of the 8 9 second and seconds <laughs> game. And I absolutely refused to watch that on TV. And it was the day uh, before my birthday. So so my dad bought tickets and we went to that game and Schumbert had this follow-up dunk that absolutely tore the roof off the place. And the Knicks wound up winning that game by double digits, too. And, and at that point, people were, again, going absolutely nuts for the team. And then they wound up losing the series uh after Mike Woodson went back to his big lineup for some reason. Um but, you know, other than that, since I've lived here, the team has been pretty mediocre to bad. Um and this is the most excited about the team that people have been. And, you know, it's again, it's a team that's a game below five hundred. But I think, you know, most of that excitement is because people see Porzingis and, and how good he is and how good he can be and they project that Onto him, and they see how well Melo is playing. And, you know, even a guy like Robin Lopez, who at the start of the year, when he wasn't playing a lot, you know, I had a lot of my friends complaining to me, like, oh, why did they sign this guy? He doesn't do anything. And I said, just wait until he starts playing more, because he's a guy that a lot of the stuff he does isn't necessarily visible. He's, you know, one of those little things, guys, where he sets really good screens, and he boxes out a lot, which let lets other guys get rebounds. And he protects the rim, but doesn't necessarily block shots. And now that he's playing more, um, they're they're seeing that I think a little bit. So you know the the team is is really fun to watch, and it has Porzingis and it has Melo playing as well as he's played in a while, and just the improvement over last year in terms of the quality of players available to watch, I think, has people really excited about them too.
0: All right, so you know now the Knicks. You have Porzingis, who looks like he could be a star. You still have Carmelo. You have some role players. What what do you what do you see as as what the Knicks uh, should do going forward, um, heading into this off Where you know they're obviously going to try to sign Kevin Durant. Like every team that has cap space, they're almost likely not going to sign Kevin Durant. Like every team that has cap space. Um, so what? So what? What do you? What do you? What do you see as the path for them moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, obviously take a run at Kevin Durant if he wants to come. Do everything in your power to make that happen. Like there is zero reason on this earth that if he wants to be in New York, that you should not make it happen. Um, also, like you said, that's probably not going to happen, and. If they miss out on that, then I don't see any reason why they can't just basically do what they did last year and sign a few pretty good players to fill out the rotation around uh, Carmelo and Porzingis, who are the two best players now. Um, I think that guards would be the best choice there. You know, you see it pretty much every night that they need a point guard that can get into the paint and create easier shots for guys. You know, they're still below average in terms of their offensive efficiency. And then you see it on the other end where they can't really guard the best point guards in terms of getting into the paint. They let that happen a whole lot. Um, Jose Calderon uh, is playing better now than he was at the start of the year, and he's still one of the best shooters at any position in the history of basketball. But there are things that he's lacking. And if you can upgrade that spot, uh, I think that you should do that. Um, you know, their backup guards, Langston Galloway and Jaron Grant, look like guys that can be rotation pieces, but not necessarily starter-quality pieces. So if you can keep them as your third or fourth or fourth and fifth best guards, that would be ideal. So if you can find somebody that can play either one of the guard spots, that would be an improvement over... Calderon, Andor, Aaron Aflau, who, you know, like I said earlier, um, is, is doing really well in terms of his post ups, but his three point shot has come and gone. So is his mid range shot. And you see it when he has to chase around quicker guard, especially off screen, that his defense isn't what it was a few years ago. Um, so if they can upgrade either one of those spots, I think that's the move to make. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. You know, a, a quote-unquote star guy, which isn't really available this off season anyway.
0: Right, and 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 that and that I think is the right way to go. Is is instead of instead of rushing into something, just continuing to kind of do what they haven't done in a long time and doing a slow a slow build forward. You know, um, which is you know, right. as you know, a lot of times they've rushed into stuff and. And, and made trades that they shouldn't have and, and kind of tried to go for it all at once instead of just continuing to, to build around this guy. That's basically the
1: defining characteristic of the team since James Dolan bought it back in 1999 is is trying to go too fast for their own good when they're not actually that one player away.
0: Right. And they're, they're still not that one player away now, but at least they have a guy in Porzingis that... That they they can they can project out over the next ten to fifteen years as a guy that they can build around, which is something that because they haven't had, you know, picks that high, and because they haven't developed the young guys they have gotten, they haven't had that kind of piece in place to really be able to project out and and build around. and And that and that brings me to um, what I think might be the last point here, which is um, how how weird is it as a fan to look at this team now and see credible signs of a foundation in place and and what looks like a, a pretty bright future for a team that, you know, frankly, for basically this entire century, outside of a couple brief flashes, has just looked completely lost and, at a lot of times, hopeless.
1: It's very strange um, <laughs> for for basically my entire adult life, um, they haven't had a foundation that you could consider something that would be sustainable for the future. Um, And now, based on just having this one guy, they do. Because when you have a guy like that that looks like you can be a potential superstar franchise type of player, you're... You know, you're in good shape. You know, I've, I've said it to people a couple different times this season. and they could lose every game the rest of the year, and they would still be on the right track going forward because they have someone that looks like he can be that type of guy. You know, obviously different things can happen, um, especially when you're 7-3 or, you know, 7-1 in shoes, 7-3 or 7-1. Without shoes, seven three in shoes.
0: Really, really um, freaking tall. I think is is fine instead of whatever height right. it is. He's when you just have gigantic. someone that
1: tall, there's right. there's always a risk of of injuries. And you know, as we're talking right now, he showed up on the team's injury report for the first time during the regular season. Um, so that'll always be a little bit of a concern. But as as long as you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, whatever you want to do as long as he stays healthy, like that's someone that you can really build around. And I actually did knock on wood there. (laughs) Um, Someone that you can really build around for the future, which, like I said, they haven't had at all. You know, even um, Carmelo, when he came, he was already uh, in or about to exit his quote-unquote physical prime. Porzingis is still six or seven years away from that. Um, So to be able to project an improvement onto him and to be able to look at a guy and say he'll be here for 10, 15-plus years is, is something that literally has not happened uh, in my life. So it's very, very strange.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Um, and I, I guess there is one thing that I, that we we didn't address and we probably should. That That's the future Carmelo Anthony. Now, he just signed a five-year contract last summer. Um, he's in the second year of that deal. Um, so he's three more years after this. Coming into this season... My thought was that he was going to meet, need to be traded either at this deadline or um, or next or this summer because I just didn't see the path forward for the Knicks being able to be competitive with him um, as a key piece. However, that was before Porzingis made the the strides that he's made, and now maybe you could see that as being the case. Um, you know, you mentioned how well Carmelo's playing. He's been terrific lately. Uh, made, you know, one of the best stretches I think of his career overall as a player um but what do you what do you think um what do you think the future holds for him in new york and do you think that the the ascendance of porzingis this quickly has maybe changed what what seemed like uh a possible inevitable departure via trade
1: well the important thing to remember i think is that his future in new york holds basically whatever he wants it to because he has a no trade clause um even if they wanted to deal him, it would have to be with his permission. And that obviously limits the type of return you can get in one of those trades because teams know that the Knicks don't have the leverage Carmelo does. Um, obviously, there were rumors uh, right after the team drafted Porzingis that Carmelo was extremely unhappy with that. You know, everybody has seen at this point that, that Stephen A. Smith clip from ESPN where we were. Hoodwinked and lied to, and whatever, whatever he was saying. Um, That all changed, at least according to Carmelo, once he started working out with Porzingis. You know, not necessarily that he was uh, trying to get out of here as fast as possible once that draft pick happened, but he said a couple weeks ago that he started to realize that things could be a lot different uh, for his future with the team and the team's future. Uh, in terms of their development and how quickly they could get better once he started working out with Porzingis a few uh, weeks after, I think I think it was after Summer League. Um, and the, the two of them have both played better when the other is on the floor than when the other is off the floor, which I think is a good sign. And I wrote about this a couple weeks ago, that uh, Carmelo has thrown more passes per game to Porzingis than any non-point guard teammate he's had since he's been in New York, uh, if you look at that that Sportview data. And that's a really good sign in terms of how much trust he has in Porzingis, I think, because Carmelo has always been a guy where he takes a lot of shots, obviously, because he's always been the best scorer on his team. But he's also been somewhat reluctant to pass the guys because he doesn't necessarily trust that they're going to do a better job of okay. making the shot than he is. Um, and he obviously already has the trust in Porzingis that he can make those shots. And Porzingis actually isn't even shooting that well. All those pass- off of those passes just yet. So once he does shoot better, which I think will happen, um, based on you know how smooth his stroke looks and on the scouting reports that that have been written about him. And then uh, Chris Herring wrote a piece earlier in the season about how European guys that have come over have generally struggled from three in their first season and then gotten much better at it, at it as their careers have gone along. Uh, the one exception to that, which is really funny, is Andrea Bargnani, who I think shot better in his first season from three than the rest of his career. Uh, I wouldn't expect that to be the case with Porzingis just because of how smooth and repeatable his stroke is. And like I said, the scouting reports as well. So the fact that Carmelo already trusts him, even though he's not shooting that well, I think will will work better over these next few years as he starts making more and more of those shots. So the two of them together, especially I think when you put them at the four and the five rather than the three and the four, which is where they spend most of their minutes playing together, will be extremely tough to guard offensively. And then because of KP's versatility and agility on defense, I think he can work there too because he moves really well for a guy his size, he already protects over him pretty well. And Carmelo, throughout his career and this year as well, I think, is a better one on one defender when he's at the four than when he's at the three. Uh, he does a better job defending in the post than he does in open space. Now he's not necessarily the best guy to have rotating along the back line, but you know, in terms of his individual defense, he's significantly better when you put him at the four. And that's just something that I think will be extremely tough to, to deal with on both ends of the floor. So that, in terms of that tandem working together, Carmelo's future, I think, is a lot different than you might have expected it to be coming into or, or sorry heading out of last season. But I do think that a lot of it will depend on how they build around those two guys, which is really the basis of the team.
0: Exciting times in New York, man. Which is something that I never thought I would be saying uh, at this point. Um, and I, I was pretty high in Porzingis, but you know, I don't think any, no one reasonably could have expected this. And uh, it's it's been fun to watch. And uh, and I'm a neutral observer, so as a as a guy who still has you know fandom for the team, I know it's been great for you. So, um, so Jared, thanks for thanks for coming on on short notice. Uh, you right all over the place, and you're. You know, you're, you're in charge of the HP Basketball Network. So, so give, uh, you know, I know you've got stuff to plug. So where, where can people find your work on Twitter and and give out some stuff for people to, to go track down on the Internet?
1: Uh, I, I do write at a bunch of different places. But before I, uh, I do these shameless self-promotion things, I do want to ask you a question if I can hijack things. You can, for hi- a bit.
0: You can hijack things for a bit. Go for it. What do you got?
1: Okay, so I, I listened to your podcast with uh, our friend Seth Partnow, I think it was last week. And you asked him a question about where he ranks in terms of basketball people from Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know that you are from the Buffalo area, which, you know, not a lot of NBA action going on there, at least in the last 30 years or so. So after the Buffalo Braves, where do you rank in terms of basketball people from
0: Buffalo? Well, all right, so this is complicated. I'm from I'm from a town called Randolph, New York, which is in uh, it's about an hour south of Buffalo, down near the border of New York and Pennsylvania. It's a little farm town, and I, I say I'm from Buffalo because it's much easier for me um, to say that I'm from there as opposed to you know explaining to people where um, where I'm from. But when you're talking about uh, Buffalo basketball players um, and basketball people. Obviously, you have the Buffalo Braves, who were I think I think they're the Kings. Um, so you know you, you have them, obviously. But Bob Lanier, Hall of Famer, uh, fellow St. Bonaventure graduate, is from Buffalo. Uh, Christian Leitner is from Buffalo. I think Calvin Calvin Murphy went to school um, near Buffalo. I'm I'm looking through a list right now of guys cuz I'm trying to remember. I don't want to forget anyone. Um Calvin Murphy went to school there but he's not from there. Greg Oden was born in Buffalo though he lived somewhere else most of the time. Uh So there, there there's a there's a Cliff Robinson is from Buffalo. Um there's a there's a pretty long list of guys from from the city. So I'm I'm like in the probably the thousands somewhere. Um, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near Seth's place in Alaska, which I think is like fourth. Um, cause there, there, <laughs> there's a much smaller list, but yeah, Buffalo's got, Buffalo's got kind of a sneaky, Buffalo's got kind of a sneaky, uh, a sneaky basketball background. So, um, so yeah, well, there you go. Um, it's so, all right. So, so now that, now that we've talked about Buffalo basketball history, uh, run, run everybody through where, where they can find your stuff and, uh. And and what what where they can where they should look for stuff on the internet?
1: Cool. Um, so I'm on, on Twitter at J. J A Dubin Five. Uh, I write um, at the Cauldron at Sports Illustrated at Bleacher Report at CBS. Um, you can find my stuff there. It's basically a, between those three four times a week, um, mostly basketball, a little bit of football at CBS as well. Um, I have the podcast with uh, Seth Partnow every week. We uh, we talk about the Thursday night TNT games uh, from a sort of strategy and, and numbers perspective, as well as a little bit of the big picture stuff. Uh, that podcast is called Cold Atomists, which is a, a, a Sports Night reference and a Latin reference, which you know, really, really popular stuff. There, Sports Night needs a Latin <laughs> language. Um, But, yeah, um, you can find all my, you know, I'll I'll tweet out links and stuff like that. So if people don't necessarily want to go to homepages, you can always click on the stuff I send out there.
0: Yeah, it's all good stuff. You should definitely check it out. Uh, Jared, Jared Otto, is a good friend, but he's a very good writer. So check his stuff out. Um, You can find my stuff at The Washington Post. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. Uh, Please uh, give a a rating and a review to uh, the podcast on iTunes. Five-star reviews are great. Uh podcast also now on Stitcher, which is great. Um, and thanks to the sports digital editor at the Washington Post, Glenn Yoder, and his band, The Western States, for the theme music for the podcast, which is very cool. Um, Jared, thanks again for uh, hopping on a Short Notice, man. And when I'm finally back in New York for a minute, I'm looking forward to seeing you again.
1: You too, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Sure, no problem. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.